On this episode of Movie Bites, we take a look at the 17th film in the Disney animated canon, 1961's American animated comedy adventure, 101 Dalmatians. Hello and welcome to Movie Bites. My name is Clay. Thank you so much for joining us. It has been quite a while since we've done our, our last episode. Um, maybe you're not listening along as we as we do these. Maybe you're listening years later and you won't notice that there was a pause. But uh, it's been over a year, which is pretty crazy. Uh, so thank you for joining us. Uh, I've been really excited to do this episode, so I'm glad that we're back. And with me, as always, my faithful co-hosts from the very beginning, David Jones and Jeffrey Perez. Jeff, uh, Dave, how you doing? I'm doing I'm doing great glad to finally be here after like a year and I can't believe we watched this film twice because it took so long for us to schedule from the point of when we originally watched it to when we record so this is kind of probably a little bit of a unique one in, in, in the fact that we've actually had a chance to digest this movie over a year and then watch it again so maybe we'll have more insights maybe we won't maybe this will be a terrible episode stay tuned to find out who knows? <laughs> Jeff, how you doing? Doing great. I'm so glad to be back doing this again. You know, it's uh, it's good to be back in the saddle doing podcasts with you fine gentlemen. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking about this movie. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, it's so odd that we we kind of fell fell away right at this one because this is also one of my favorites. So yeah, I was like yeah. so stoked to do it. I got my notes already. We watched it. And then it just, life got in the way. The holidays happened. And then... Next thing I know, I'm, I'm living in a different state. David's got a girlfriend, life, you know, we're two COVID variants in now. And so it's like, just what a crazy time it's been, you know? Indeed. So. Mm-hmm. Crazy, crazy. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's get into it. Uh, me and the boys, we've talked and we're, we're going to try to be a little more consistent. I did the math the other day. If we would have stayed with it for the last 12 months, we'd be on Little Mermaid right now. So we've got a whole era of uh, Disney movies to catch up on uh, to get into the Renaissance and all that. Or two, I guess. Two, two. We're, we're in the middle of one, but one and a half. Mm-hmm. All right. Enough of that. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and uh, I'm going to go ahead and hand it off to Jeff, who's going to give us some quick facts about the movie, some information, some numbers, some names that you probably don't recognize, and then we'll, uh, we'll continue from there. Cool. So, 101 Dalmatians was released on January the 25th, 1961, which means as of this recording, it's almost exactly 61 years ago. It was directed by Wolfgang Reitherman, Reitherman, nobody knows, Hamilton Lusk, Clyde Geronimi, Geronimi, again, who could say? It was produced, of course, by Walt Disney, as he was still alive at the time. It was written by Bill Peet. The music was by George Bruns and Mel Levin. The movie was budgeted $3.6 million, but the gross revenue came out at over $215 million, and the runtime is 79 minutes. Yeah, I couldn't find the uh, box office. I can only find, like, the overall. But yeah. regardless, it was a hit, and they, they yep. easily made their money back. So, um, yeah, 79 minutes uh, is a pretty good time for, for a movie like this, I think. Um, yeah. We've had some longer ones. We've had some shorter ones. So I think this one mm-hmm. is just right. So 
Uh, real quick, I've got three quick facts I'm going to throw out, and then uh, we'll move into our, our, our main point where we talk through the whole movie and share our thoughts and opinions and all that good stuff. Um, behind the scenes in production. Uh, this was the, I thought this was interesting, the first Walt Disney animated movie to be written by just one person. Hmm. Uh, up to this point, as far as I know, we've had, yeah. there's always been like multiple writing credits on this, but Bill Pete was the main man on this one and uh, kind of handled it on his own. So that was interesting. Um, Good job, Bill. Yeah, way to go, Bill. Uh, <laughs> point number two is a big one. Obviously, we're going to talk about this more as we go through, but uh, a big part of this movie is the fact that this was the beginning of the Xerox era of animation. Um, and so this was kind of the first venture into that. Uh, before I read this fact, though, uh, does one of you, you guys can just decide, does one of you want to explain to the listeners that may not know what exactly the Xerox process, you know, looks like or, and what it consists of, what the differences are? Yeah, I, I can tackle that. So kind of going back to the original Disney animated features prior to this one, when the animators would draw on paper, it would then have to be traced by hand onto a piece of celluloid, a clear plastic frame that would then be placed over top of a background and be photographed when they introduced the xerox process basically they they cut out that that painstaking tracing process by getting the original animator's hands lines into the movie so uh you know one of the byproducts that happened from that is that you get all the little fine details and kind of the the less perfect lines from the animators, which, you know, a lot of people would say give it more personality, but other people would say it kind of gives it a, a sketchy look or a little lower quality sometimes, but um, it is definitely a, a style. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Good job, Jeff. So now Thanks, you know. Guys. Um, basically, the studio cut its animation department uh, after the what we discussed on the last episode. It was a bit of a failure. Uh, with Sleeping Beauty because it was very expensive. They went all out. Obviously, the byproduct was so good. Uh, so jumping from that to this is is a bit of a, a harsh contrast. But um, yeah, so basically they that fa quote unquote failure at the time resulted in them uh, Disney reducing their staff of over five hundred uh, down to less than a hundred. Uh, yikes! Uh, Ouch. Walt Disney, who for some years had spent his attention more towards television and uh, Disneyland Amusement Park, was less focused on his animated features, but he was still not happy uh, with this development of losing so many people. Um, this sketchy graphic style would remain the norm at Disney for years uh, until the technology improved prior to the release of The Rescuers. Uh, in later animated features, the Xerox lines could be printed in different colors. Not just black, Ooh. apparently. So, uh, one last fact for you. To achieve the spotted Dalmatians, the animators used to think of the spot pattern as a constellation. Once they had their anchor spot, the next was placed in a relation to one spot and so on until the, the full pattern was achieved. All total, the film features 6,469,952 spots, with Pongo sporting 72, Perdita 68, and each puppy having 32 spots. It's very important to know that. 
So yeah, there you go. I figured everybody <laughs> needed to be made aware of that. So I, that, mm-hmm. that is fascinating. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. wow. It's going on my gravestone. How many spots the donations had? <laughs> good, good idea. Mm-hmm. All right. So next up, we're going to go ahead and real quickly hit on uh, our host's history with the movie. Did you watch as a kid? Did you watch as an adult? Um, when was the last time you watched it? Maybe prior to a year ago when we were getting ready to uh, do this episode. And uh, yeah, we'll talk through all that. So we'll start with David, then Jeff, and then myself. Go ahead, David. All right. So I think this is probably the earliest Disney film that I had kind of like a childhood obsession with. Though it, it's not necessarily just the film itself. It was like the whole IP that I loved. Like I had um, I had like this wall set of like um, little stuff you could kind of like stick to your wall. So I put like Dalmatian footprints all over my walls. I had all the Dalmatians uh, and they were just everywhere. It, it was it was like it was like my jam. Um, I think before I, I saw the movie, I had like I don't even remember if I had the VHS, to be honest, but I had the. Uh, the cassette tape and corresponding like book set, which I had a lot of those as a kid. I think I mentioned that about a couple other movies. I think that was my first introduction before I saw the movie. Um, and I also was really into um, the 101 Dalmatians animated show on, uh, I don't know, I can't remember if it was on the Disney Channel or not or what that was on, if it was ABC or the Disney Channel. But I sort of had all of those things as like part of like my history with like this franchise. And I don't even remember if I really loved uh, the, um, if I really loved the film so much as I loved the franchise, because <laughs> I definitely like just cared about the Dalmatians a lot more than I cared about the movie. Uh, but it definitely must have had an impact for me or I'm sure I wouldn't have had the obsession to uh, begin with, but yeah, I think that's that's kind of it for me. It's such a long time ago that I don't really remember more than that. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> as as for me, I uh this was the first Disney movie that I got like as my own on VHS, so I got it for Christmas of 1992, which was the I think the year it was first released on VHS. Um and I like like David said, I was obsessed with the franchise. I don't really remember watching the TV show. I think I was aware of it, and I probably caught a few. But like, you know, I was really into the movie. I watched the VHS all the time because you know when you're when you're a little kid, I was probably like six at that time. Yeah, um, and you know, you when it's yours, there's that sort of like added attachment, like oh, this is mine, and like you watch it all the time. Um, I had two stuffed animals i think of of um i had roly and uh patch i think the little little spot in his eye um like i just was really into it for a long time i had a i had a movie poster puzzle it was like those three foot by six foot or whatever they are three two foot by three foot um of of the movie that was really cool it was really hard because it was almost solid white (laughs) then just the characters in the middle so um yeah, no, this one this one was was very important to me as a kid and and one I really enjoyed. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that, guys. Uh for me, I definitely owned the VHS as a kid. Uh watched it plenty of times. Uh we liked the live action movies just fine. Um at least the first one, maybe the second one, I don't know. Um and uh, oddly enough, this was a movie that uh I have good childhood memories of, but was also a movie that I reconnected with when I was older. Uh, in kind of an odd way, uh, like post-college even, where I remember sitting down and watching it and just uh, 
I don't know, just kind of finding a new uh, love for it and appreciation for it, maybe more so than I did when I was a kid. Um, and so, yeah, so I just have a lot of good memories of it, and it's one of my more uh, recent favorites uh, in my adulthood, I think. So um, Nice. Yeah, so that that's it in a nutshell. I mean, I've watched this movie quite a number of times, and so uh know it pretty well and and adore it pretty well, so... That will that will about do that. Um, yeah, so now we're going to go ahead and hit play on the movie, and then uh, me and the host will share our thoughts and opinions. Uh, I jotted down some notes. I know Jeff did. We'll see if David did. And uh, we'll go through this together, and then at the end we'll, uh, we'll give our final rating, final thoughts, and then uh, we'll call it an episode. So I'm going to go ahead and hit play here, and we'll get started. All right, here we go. 101 Dalmatians. Uh, I'll start us off with my first thought, which applies well to the beginning of the movie. Uh, I love this opening kind of credit sequence. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely uh, the music, the drawing animations, it just gets you really excited for the movie. I feel like it was so much more different than a lot of the opening credits up to this point. And... Mm -hmm. uh, just really unique and artistic and, and, and super clever. So uh, props to them for, for kind of going outside of the b- box and not just kind of doing what they do in the past with very basic, you know, opening credits and stuff. Yeah, I, I had basically the same note. Like I, I was really impressed by it, you know, just from being older and, and looking at it objectively and, and artistically. Like it's really cool. And I, I never really had thought about it until you know rewatching it now but you know monsters inc kind of starts in a similar way which i think was maybe an homage to this i don't know but like it just reminded me of that and i thought that was really cool but oh yeah um, i didn't even think about that you're right though right like it's it's very similar mm-hmm. um but totally totally love it like the animated spots and bringing in the names like it was very creative and very like you said very different from from anything before Another thing I noted uh, from the very beginning, the uh, the sets and the backgrounds of this movie, uh, I, I, we already kind of hit on this, but just so different from Sleeping Beauty. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything's rough, maybe not as detailed. It It's a completely different style, so you don't really have to compare the two, but despite it, I still really like it. It's, it's kind of, mm-hmm. it's very unique. Um, you see lines, but then like the color kind of goes past the lines sometimes. Yeah, I noted that. Yep. Um, but I don't know. Even though it's still uh, very sketchy looking, it still does bring a level of detail, and it has this kind of like I don't know art, so I can't really talk mm. like compare it to other art styles. But it's a very unique, like kind of I don't know, and Imp- impressionistic and yeah, it's, it's yeah. I don't think it is it watercolor it kind of looks it looks like, it looks watercolor yeah, yeah yeah and that was definitely something that I appreciated more as an adult um, mm-hmm. it, is that it does kind of shoot for a style in you know back in the day I think I kind of just wanted everything to look like that same Disney style so mm-hmm. like I didn't like the Xerox stuff I didn't like the yeah. impressionists backgrounds I just wanted everything to like you know look like Disney Renaissance <laughs> because that's what I liked the most 
So, but like going back now, it's like those are like really good pieces. And when we were picking them for our backgrounds, I was like getting a good mm-hmm. look at like how good some of those backgrounds actually look when you sort of focus on them instead of the characters. They're they're very well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was sort of thinking about it, you know, because I had made the same the same note about like the color going over the edge of the lines. But I realized with the Xerox cell animation, so like the the moving parts of the screen because of the way the Xerox is and, and the lines kind of jumping around and, and bleeding over the, the lines, the edges and stuff. Doing the background this way, I think was was brilliant to kind of mm-hmm. t- mix the two. Yeah. Um, because, you know, there's, there's, there's movies where it's like, you can tell the difference between the background and the cell and, and the, you know, the moving yeah. part. And it just, you know, it can almost detract from it. This one, it, it really does look like it's all one yeah. piece. I'm looking really cool. forward to watching some of the other Xerox films because I, I can't remember if they all do that. But from my memory, yeah. I don't think they all do. And I think one of the reasons this one hmm. works a lot better visually-wise is some of the other Xerox ones is because there's a scene that the art style makes sense. Like they built everything else around the fact that this was going to be done in this new way now. And it mm-hmm. it, just, it feels right. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's bold. This movie's kind of jazzy, I guess you could call it. Um, mm-hmm. Like like with, with the music and stuff. And I feel like the art style is jazzy. Like mm-hmm. That's a good way of putting it. I, I don't know how to put it any better, but it kind of feels like like artwork you would see like in a Starbucks or something like mm-hmm. some dude like playing mm-hmm. the, the jazz piano and he's, you mm-hmm. know, it, it's kind of got that feel to it. It's, it's hard to explain, but man, it's so unique. And I, I think it's one of the things that makes it super charming. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing uh, worth mentioning is interesting uh, at the time of this release. Uh, this is arguably one of the only modern uh, settings for animated movies that Disney had put out. Up to this point, yeah. uh, it was a nice break from fantasy and medieval style of movies that we had mostly yeah. been seeing up to this point. So there's not a lot of magic or unbelievable situations. It's a lot of just kind of real world earthly problems, I guess. If if you can yeah. consider a woman wanting to butcher puppies <laughs> to make a coat, then I guess that's the most unbelievable part of this, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> although, I mean, fur trade, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I was I was thinking that as well. Just that the characters, especially you know, the the human characters are secondary and yet, um, you know, give you some relatability versus the the, the balls and the princesses and you know the all that stuff, the the rabbit holes of Alice because you know that one had humans and then went True. down an acid trip. But <laughs> um, no, this one, you know, very very real relatable character in Roger with like the struggling musician, you know, loves his dog and uh, looking for love and all that. And so, yeah, I, you know, I, 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 I liked the setting a lot. Uh, I attribute this movie and actually just the series as a whole with even the live action ones, but this one definitely uh, as one of the main reasons as a kid that I always uh, was kind of fascinated with London and always wanted to go mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think just the way that they portray that area in this movie, um, mm-hmm. from the cityscapes to the countryside stuff, it just uh, as a kid really kind of made me appreciate it and want to go there. I've still never been there, but what are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
this movie made pipe smoking really cool to me also. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not so much as a kid, but as an adult. Like when I was talking about when I re love this movie, I, I just seen him, uh, Roger, smoking his pipe. I was like, man, that's so freaking cool. Ah, <laughs> uh, nicotine addiction. Nothing cooler. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yep. Exactly. What else you got? David, you haven't said anything yet. What do you got? I'm <laughs> yeah, sure I did. I just talked about the backgrounds. Um, so are we, are we speaking about um, just the whole movie in general, or are we still in the opening? Sorry, any, a little bit. I mean, we, I think we, we got rid of the like, scene by to, scene. Don't Sorry, jump to the very last scene at the end already, but yeah, go, <laughs> whatever you got. Okay, okay. Because I remember on the old ones, we actually like couldn't talk about the end until we got to it. So, um, yeah, I, yeah. There was a lot of um, there's a like you said. There's a lot of Britishness in this in this movie. Um, the way the way where characters talk, and and the humor is very kind of dry and British too. Which, yeah, I'm not sure if it's like everyone's cup of tea. Definitely a lot of it. I kind of was a, seemed a little bit more eye rolly now watching it as an adult. It didn't really like make me laugh, but at the same time, it was kind of charming in its own way. Um, but a lot of this might just be the fact that this movie is like so like incredibly old too. Um, and it's yeah, there's definitely and, and I was impressed with the um, level of darkness this movie goes with. <laughs> The fact that they just openly talked about like bashing puppies' heads in and skinning them alive, and there's like, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of like really like kind of dark stuff that I don't think would be in like a um, a children's movie today. And uh, this movie is rated G somehow. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, that that was something I always found odd as a kid was that, you know, the, the literally the estate that Quilla Deville lives at is like mm-hmm. Hell's what is it Hell Mansion or whatever, but like Hell Hall, mm-hmm. and it was just like as a kid like I was like good lord like can they can they say that right <laughs> all right we're just gonna pop them off and i'll pop them off and you skin them yeah <laughs> it's like what i was like oh damn yeah um the thing i didn't remember about this film that i really appreciated this time was the so just speaking about that scene was the uh the game show that um they were watching like I didn't remember mm-hmm. that at all but I actually mm-hmm. kind of find it like one of the the funniest parts of the film this time around uh-huh. oh yeah it's hilarious yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then the like, little canine crunchies ad <laughs> oh yeah I love canine crunchies that was, like, that was one of my favorite things was, I, I don't know why it was like oh it's a commercial in a, in a movie that like a fake commercial mm-hmm. but just the little jingle and everything and you know the, the 1950s style of the TV mm-hmm. show which is interesting because I feel like this is set a little bit earlier than that but i'm actually not 100 percent sure like going off the cars i would say like 30s to 40s because i imagine 30s. this is supposed to take place later than when the mill film is was made but uh, at the yeah. same time there's like a you know i think corella looks a little bit more modern than some of the other people. yeah yeah I, I guess i hadn't really thought about because I, yeah. I feel like the book. I, I don't the, think it's older than the. Tw- I feel like the twenties could would be like the latest it could possibly have taken place in. Well, I mean, everybody having a TV in their house would imply it's at least the fifties. Oh, you're right. You're right. But um, and and the TV show and and the ads are very 1950s esque. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know if they were trying to make it, quote unquote, 
modern contemporary at the time because i mean this is 1961 yeah it might be one of those things where they just didn't think about it just seems old to us yeah hey you want to have them watch tv who cares if that's not in the 30s or whatever right (laughs) yeah because all the like all the cars are older than what they yeah because the cars don't look very 60s and neither does really any of the fashion Mm. yeah that's interesting i hadn't really given that a ton of thought but yeah. yeah and to add what you guys were saying the uh the game show the canine crunchies the uh thunderbolt show that's all just like really yeah. cool stuff that helps kind of with like i hate to say it, but like world building like it, it mm-hmm. gives totally makes it feel real it makes it feel like there's actually other things going on other than just this mm-hmm. like singular story that's happening and just yeah kind of flushes things out and makes it feel more real which i always like totally no i i you know giving the plot point that one of uh, was it Rolly like just loves the show and won't leave the TV, and and transitioning that from earlier to later is is you know it, it gives him a, mm-hmm. a dimensionality more than just a standard Disney character that you know one dimensional or whatever, which is cool because he's you know he's just one of the one of the fifteen. So, but they only also just started to think about like the actual logistics of owning that many dogs and what a nightmare that would be. Yeah, <laughs> like every well, time Roger and. Uh, What's his, wife, what's his wife's name? Anita. 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 Every time they talk about it, I'm like, no, don't do it. That's horrible. You don't understand. <laughs> Your smell. whole house is going to smell like crap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not Yeah, definitely not something I thought of as a kid. I, I remember really wanting a Dalmatian after this, which I, oh, you know, was a same. huge problem uh, after the live action one came out. Oh, I think we actually briefly adopted a Dalmatian because of this, because of my obsession with this. Oh no. And then we, <laughs> then we ended up getting rid of it because it was just too much. Yeah. I've, I've heard they're not excellent pets or they, they can be a little much, but I, I don't know. Yeah. What I remember was just like really, really needy and it just like cried like all night and it was just, Aww. yeah. Hmm. And then my mom got rid of it and didn't tell me. Savage. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like, the dog's gone. I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that makes sense. I'm sad, but that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I really love the dynamic with Roger and Cruella where it's, again, very relatable where it's like his wife's college friend or whatever. And he just gets the really bad vibe from her and is just like, not a shame to tell her that tell his wife that he hates her you know yeah you know and it's like his wife is like one of those relationships where it's like Cruella just bugs her but she just puts up with her because she's polite and proper mm-hmm. and it's the right thing to do and you know Cruella just shows up one day and you know it's like oh you guys are having puppies right and uh it just Roger writes the you know the Cruella DeVille song and and just totally bashing on her <laughs> you know it's just i don't know it's one of those things where it's like very relatable or can be, can be very relatable and it's an interesting oh, wrote this one go ahead sorry it's an interesting angle with the villain where you're introduced to this person obviously they're they're no good but mm-hmm. they're not but they're like friends of or like a family acquaintances friend, yeah. of the main characters and so Mm-hmm. You know, when Maleficent shows up, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, she's so bad. But this one's like, well, mm-hmm. she's bad, but she's she's carrying herself in, in such a manner yeah. that she seems like she's a, uh, like a, a regular person. And, mm-hmm. and then the more you see her as the movie continues on, I notice that she becomes more and more like evil seeming. And deranged. Deranged, yeah. all that stuff. So yeah. it's an interesting... Um, 
interesting way to to go about doing a villain. I think. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. It's like they can. They kind of. I honestly like her her portrayal a lot better at the start. Um, just her more psychotic form. I feel like is a bit like much. Like I feel like she'd be a lot more terrifying on as a villain, just being like kind of like a really selfish rich person who just doesn't care and is like willing mm-hmm. to do horrible things to get what she wants. Yeah. And she kind of becomes a little too cartoony for me, I think near the end where she just like starts freaking out and like, Rah! and yeah. that like creepy, I remember being kind of frightened as a kid in that moment when she's like, you know, driving her car, like looking through the windows, uh-huh. this, this demonic look in her eyes yeah. and stuff. Uh, so that stuff is like, you know, I, I get why they did it, but you know, now as an adult, it's like, I kind of like the more complex portrayal of her in the beginning of the film better. Mm. Yeah. Uh, one one thing I noted, uh, this movie obviously is not really considered a musical. Uh, it has three songs yeah. total: uh, "Cruella de Vil," "Canine Crunchies," and "Dalmatian <laughs> Plantation." If I'm, uh, I'm not missing any in yeah. there. So not a whole lot. Uh, there were a couple songs that they had planned on doing that got cut. Uh, one of them featuring Horace and Jasper, which might have been kind of interesting. Um, interesting, yeah. But yeah, so this is more of a straightforward type movie not as much singing not as focused on music even though uh the music in this is really good so mm-hmm. just, i just i noted that so yeah no it's it's interesting because i hadn't really given it much thought because so many if not all disney movies up to this point had been well even the package films i guess they were all musicals and so um it, it is interesting to, to have a Disney movie not be a musical or, you know, not a straight up where the music carries the plot or, you know, gives you character development. It's uh, with the exception of Cruella de Vil where it does explain her <laughs> a little bit because Roger's explaining his perception of her and how terrible she is. So, um, yeah, that is interesting. It's a good, it's a good note. Um, the, the whole puppy birth scene is just mm-hmm. really well done cinematically. Yeah. Um, the stormy night, the the mm-hmm. ticking clock, uh, the excitement of the puppies being born, and then the sadness of one being lost, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. they flip it around and you bring them back to life, and it's just all over the place. It's like super intense, but yeah. really well done. I love the uh, the nervous fathers <laughs> that Rogers, you know, like smoking his pipe and just mm-hmm. completely in the zone, <laughs> and Pongo's worried, and he puts his paw on him and scares him and <laughs> and then like as they're announcing how the number of puppies and pongo's reactions like oh god oh god oh god and, you know it's just sort of that mm-hmm. the, the wheels are turning like how am i going to support my family <laughs> type type <laughs> type thought but right. it's uh yeah the the wheel of emotions in that scene is brilliant mm-hmm. and then you know krilla's entrance with the lightning strike behind her and the silhouette and like oh it's just mm-hmm. it's really well done uh you think i you know bring a puppy bat oh, go ahead no do it I said, do you think, I'm, I've always found the scene weird where like uh, Roger just like rubs a puppy back to life. And I was like, I feel like that wouldn't actually work. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it, if he was doing little compressions as he was doing it, I mean, yeah, maybe he it's, it's did like, I don't under, I, I didn't really do any research into the medical, uh, you know, the medicine <laughs> behind that. But, but, just like, but I yeah. wonder. 
And then mm-hmm. he just starts rubbing it, and I'm like, comes back to life. I was like, I don't know. Even as a kid, I found that scene just like, is that, is that work? Witchcraft. Yeah, he <laughs> might be like circulating blood or something. Okay. Know? Right. Um, which yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe there is some truth to it. Like I don't know. I haven't birthed puppies. Maybe you can. Like if one's like has trouble mm-hmm. breathing, maybe that works. I don't know. Kind of. I don't know. Start, I jump start their heart. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You could say. I noted that David mentioned this, and I kind of disagree. For a bunch of people who live in London, they don't really all have British accents. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the nanny does. Horse and Jasper do, but I don't think Anita or Roger or Cruella. Oh, uh, maybe. Yeah, definitely not Cruella. Um, Anita definitely doesn't. I think. Now that you, yeah. Anita sounds like stereotypical, like, you know, housewife voice from right. America during the mm-hmm. 60s. Yeah. Um, Pongo does. And Jasper definitely. Yeah. yeah Pongo, Pongo's like, like trying, like a American trying to do a British mm-hmm. accent. And then, like, yeah, the none of the puppies. <laughs> right. Uh, I just, I just think more of Horace and Jasper, I think, is more of what I was referencing. But you're right. right. Yeah. They right. are kind of the quintessential cagney. Because they, they say a couple weird things that, like, uh, that, like, I remember I was like, what in the, I've never heard this expression before. I remember that, what was it? It's like, yeah. get in before before you can say Bob's your uncle. I remember that was one of those. Right. Things, and I was like, what? Yep. What does that mean? I've never heard a phrase like that before. <laughs> so I don't know if that's old 60s or actually British. It, it was... I mean, they, they make that reference in Austin Powers, which, again, is made by Canadian, but, like, mm. I'm pretty sure it's, like, a cliche British expression. I don't think okay. it was it's so like, much a 60s one. I don't know that means. I wonder where that yeah. came from. Who's the, Bob? Uh, and why is he your uncle? And yeah, that's the, the, a long time. Dick Van the Dyke part with Michael Caine... Go ahead. Oh. I was going to say the part with Michael Caine and uh, Austin Powers having their, quote-unquote, let's speak British so they don't understand us. Uh, that's yeah. one of the lines That's one of the lines they use, so mm. I'm pretty sure it's... It's no Britishism. Well, I was going to say, it's in Mary Poppins. Dick Van Dyke says it at one point. Okay. Bob's your uncle. In, in his super convincing British accent. Yes, <laughs> of course. That is, that is clearly the best performance of American portraying Britain. in okay. history. If we're going to talk crap about Dick Van Dyke, this podcast is going to be over real fast. So <laughs> I, 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 I love by. Dick Van Dyke. And I he don't is really think it was perfect, but... Yeah, that accent. Yeah, was the only like issue. The, normally <laughs> nowadays the studio will like hire someone to like coach you if you need to do mm-hmm. an accent. I don't think that. That's happened. it. He just he just needed coaching is all. Yeah, <laughs> no, Dick Van Dyke is an amazing treasure, and I hope he lives forever. Agreed. Yes. Um, next point: Disney did a great job with the puppies, giving them their own personalities and names. Uh, obviously, yeah. there's not enough movie here to explore and grow all their characters, but. Uh, I feel like a good number of them have unique and, and fleshed out personalities, and uh, I appreciated that about it. I love the fat one that mm-hmm. is constantly hungry. I identify God, with that. Yes, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I get it. So yeah, <laughs> when I when I was a little kid, I used to call like I called myself the boy who's always hungry, and it was oh. like literally based on that character. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, I love it. Yep. <laughs> Horace and Jasper are great. Uh, I feel like they're a nice, uh, they kind of balance out Cruella. Gives us a yeah. little bit of a uh, kind of a, uh, yeah, it's it's still a threat, but um, a lot less, it's a little more comical. Uh, one of the things mm-hmm. I noticed in the last watch through that I had, I noticed was I appreciated the bit where, um, I can't remember which is which. Which one's which now? Horace and Jasper. Horace, the skinny Good one. Good question. <laughs> I think Horace is the skinny uh, one, maybe. I'm not sure. 
And okay. uh, I appreciate that the, the small chubby one uh, is constantly uh, like figuring out what the dogs are doing to get away. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And he goes, do you suppose that they're... <laughs> and like, what, and then it yeah. was like, no, no, no. That's not like... <laughs> they're dogs, you idiot. Yeah. Right. And so I, I yeah. like that, that whole thing at the end where they're... He kept seeing what they were doing, but it was like such a far-fetched thing for a dog to do that uh, everyone just kind of like sh- shut him up and didn't listen to yeah. him. I like that. I thought that yep. was kind of a nice mm-hmm. little bit. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No. Like like you said, like the they're a good ying to Cruella's yang and and mm-hmm. you know bumbling idiots, but still dangerous. Um, you know, and and their whole there's their the truck they drive and how crappy it is. I just, oh, it just fits their character personalities. It, mm-hmm. like, adds to their character. It's like, oh, they drive just this piece of crap that's falling apart. And, yeah. I think Corella could hire a better help. She looks pretty well off. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably, you know, she's got her empire that's, you know, mm-hmm. good and legal or whatever, and these were just, like, the guns for hire that were yeah. cheap and idiots that she knows she can control. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the live-action Corella, but they kind of, like expand on that yes. and make them that they were like you know part of her gang oh right yeah yeah that so they, they, they kind of try to explain why she would associate with those two people yeah if that was a question that really needed explaining I, I don't know a lot of the live action stuff seems to like kind of try to like oh let's fix all the all the stuff we saw when we were kids that we now don't understand as adults yeah but that's another topic yeah, I, I like the Cruella movie. I don't really, I don't like what they did with the characters per se, but they did something different so that I, I, I get it. But mm-hmm. I will say the the Glenn Close live action 101 Dalmatians casted Horace mm-hmm. and Jesper perfectly. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember who yeah, played it was them. House, it was House and someone else, right? Oh, and really? Mr. Dursley from that. Harry Potter. Oh, yep, 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 yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I didn't really... remember the actors, but I remember really liking that movie as well. You haven't seen that movie in like 10 or 15 years, so I didn't watch uh, that one. It holds up and everything's shy of the CGI that they use. Just Oh. I, m- I remember rough. really liking that Roger made video games. Same. Yeah. It was like super... <laughs> Like, that was my favorite modernization of it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. That's so cool. Which yeah, is probably more realistic making money off of that than, like, oh, you had one hit song and now you can buy a plantation. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if the music industry worked different back then, but <laughs> Spotify ain't paying you that much. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was much less, much less saturated market, so maybe. Yeah. <laughs> right. I may note that the uh, the Twilight Bark is a, is a really cool <sighs> sequence. Love that. Uh, it's oh, it's yeah. so awesome. It's such a fun, uh, smart way to explain why uh, dogs are just barking their heads off in the middle of the night. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just totally. a, it's a fun sequence. I love watching it. It it always reminds me of um, that part of Lord of the Rings where they light all the torches to like send a message. I don't know why it does, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or what if it could Mul- have been inspired Mulan. by it? Because the books were out by the time this this came came out. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Interesting. I'm sure Tolkien got. That <laughs> sequence from the Twilight Bark, right? Oh, it always reminds me of uh, the Family Guy, where it's like, "Yeah, I was awake all night because Brian was talking to the other dog, and he's like, I am a dog. You're a dog. I'm a dog.' It's <laughs> like barking out the window. That's awesome. <laughs> um, did you guys notice the uh, dogs from Lady and the Tramp in the uh, Twilight Bark scene? They make little cameos. Yes, the puppy yes. store. 
the uh, pet the, store. Uh, the, 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 the pound dogs, yeah. Mm-hmm. The bulldog and then that. the girl that sings the uh, He's a Tramp song. He's a Tramp, yep. Yeah. Yeah, they're in there. That's nice. That's a fun fun cameo. I love when they do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, don't don't rat, don't the uh, the two adult Dalmatians end up showing up in Oliver and Company later too? Can't remember. We'll have That's to keep question. an eye on when we I when we get to that one. Yeah. In eleven months or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you might be right. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I feel like I remember that. That'd be such an easy thing to yeah. pull off in a movie in that kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, the the colonel is by far my favorite character in this movie. Uh, he's such a good character, and the mm-hmm. voice acting is really what mm-hmm. makes him great. Uh, I know that the voice actor for him, he's been in a lot of things that we've we've covered even already. But uh, just the on the double man, like he just yeah. he just kills it, and he's kind of mm-hmm. yeah, he's very like hubbubby, but he's also kind of like old and kind of like a little. Uh, aloof or whatever where he's just yeah like, and then he's got sergeant tibbs there to T- kind of tibbs tibbs runs tibbs. the show but he's in yeah. charge <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. or he thinks he's in charge and tibbs runs the show right so he's, yeah i love he's, that he's my favorite he's a great character they wrote him really well uh what what, what are you who is your favorite character in this movie you guys you gotta pick one gosh if i had to pick one mm, i instinctively go to um I think it's patch the one who's like really into the tv show yes like, um he's you know he's just got that that leader he's very brave and, and he's always, he very, barks at them and yeah yeah he no, goes out in front of them I, 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 I just love his lucky. can-do attitude i don't know if that's true today though yeah lucky yeah, yeah lucky. he used to be my favorite i don't know why but i really liked lucky um as an adult probably i probably find horace and jasper the most amusing characters <laughs> nice yeah. What else you got, Jeff? Anything? Um, I just I kind of going into the the scene at Hell Hall with all the puppies. Like it's just as the the reveal when they realize that they're they're not the only ones there and that there's just tons of others everywhere and just um, it's really impressive how they how they handled the. Uh, that many <laughs> characters and that many dogs and just um i don't know i just i it was a very daunting thing and i guess you know without the xerox they probably wouldn't have been able to make this movie so i mm-hmm. i just sort of highlighted some of the technical achievements that even though this doesn't look like the most stunning disney movie like we were talking about how 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 it compares to sleeping beauty in in looks and maybe like a certain type of quality it, it makes up in sort of like the technical achievement and just you know like you mentioned with the 6.5 million spots or whatever it's just like how they animated that and how they did all that still by hand you know they didn't have to trace all those so you know they cut that process literally in half um but it's still impressive and like there's really not any shortcomings you know I, i'm didn't, I guess I didn't really kind of look closely, but you know they probably did scenes where some of them are, are probably not animating, or they animate, you know, like this group of five, and then they go still, and then they animate this group of five, and they go still, you know, whatever tricks they use to to save, you know, human resources. But um, yeah, I just I, I wanted to comment on on just the the number of characters and, and just to think about doing that all by hand, you know, in a non CGI world, 
Um, very impressive. Yeah. Uh, one thing I noted, and David kind of mentioned this earlier, the there's a shot toward the end of Cruella uh, when she's in a full-on rage mode and she's uh, mm-hmm. coming in on that truck and her eyes mm-hmm. are all crazy. It still <laughs> like gives me nightmares to this day. Yep. Definitely as a kid. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, some of the, like she's trying to run them off the road. Yeah. The way yeah. that they, like Disney was able to like change up like people's eyes in order to like invoke certain uh, emotions and things. This is like really cool and, and, and unique. Uh, and then she ru- ends up running into Horace and Jasper at the end and it like flings her car through the air. That whole shot is like really, really well done. Like it, it's mm-hmm. super brutal. Like the hit and the flying through the air and there's yeah. pieces going everywhere. Like it's super well done. Can, yeah. can we talk about the cars in this movie? I was in the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. they look really, they look like CGI. Um, yeah. They, and, they, and my understanding they is just 3D like space. models, right? Like they painted over like retroscoping or something. You know, I'm not sure. That would make the most sense, honestly. Yeah, like, I think I, they are I way think, too yeah, I think they dimensionally built correct. the cars and then they like shot film and then they like rotoscoped over it. Okay, like, that would like that. that would make sense. I yeah, because they're they're like you said, they're so space accurate. Like it's mm. it's impressive. Yeah, yeah. I, I I can't remember the exact process, but I I am pretty sure I remember reading that actual models were used. I think it was on the Blu-ray actually. Okay, um, but I That's can't really remember cool. the exact process of how they then got those models into like the movie. But I think it was probably really scoping. Would make sense. I'm I'm sure they yeah I'm sure they blocked it out, filmed it on a black set, mm-hmm. and then that makes it really easy to rotoscope. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. Um, speaking of uh, Roger writing and making music off, and making money off music. So he writes this song about Cruella, and then by mm-hmm. the time they get back with the puppies, it's already being played on the radio. <laughs> yeah. It's a little nitpicky, but it's like, how much time has gone by? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's Christmas now? Like, Maybe I he mean, knows someone at like the radio station. He's like, yo, I got this hit single. Want to play my jam? It's not even him yeah. singing though. It's like a, a different artist singing it. I don't know. Right. Oh, he just wrote. True. He just wrote it. Yeah. Yeah, because he's just like a songwriter. He's not like he's like a, right. he's the person who writes Britney Spears stuff. Exactly. Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess I, I am curious how much time is supposed to pass because yeah, you can't imagine they held them at that place that long. I mean, there was already a hundred of them, so like they they you would have thought they would have just been there a couple days and then we're off to the i don't know what you call it the puppy butcher yeah the puppy butcher yeah and yeah. i mean, i guess we don't know how long it took uh pongo and perdita to find them uh obviously they get a they get a vehicle back yeah. but they had to foot mm-hmm. it all the way yeah. out there so that's no. true yeah yeah I, I think it's reasonable i mean the, the puppies were gone for a while um rogers started composing the song at the beginning of the movie so if he's if he's if he has contacts in the music industry, he probably sent it up someone like, "Hey, you're a good songwriter. We want to contract you to do a lot of stuff," which would also compl- also explain why one hit song got him so much money. He probably got like some kind of contract with a recording company to write for <laughs> artists, and then right. he they and then the Credit Deville one is the one that got him. So whoever was you know scheduled to go in the studio to record something, they're like, "Hey, sing this." <laughs> yep. Well, I'm glad we figured that out. That's mm-hmm. Yeah, big, Very big important. 
that's everything I have. Uh, do you guys have any other uh, things that you noted that you want to talk about before we go into our, our final thoughts? I my, my last big thing was just how much I really enjoyed the sequence where they're sneaking from through the snow and like covering their tracks um and just the you know just the thought of being 101 dogs just like going through the countryside and that they kind of camouflage because they're white and you know black spots or whatever um and just the part where they cross the road and and pongo's like covering up their tracks and like with with the tree branch or whatever um i don't know i just i always enjoyed that part it was very suspenseful and very well done and like you were saying with Corella driving by and like leaning over her her wheel and looking out yeah. the windows and just it really builds up a lot of tension and it, again like just in honestly in a way that you know no other movie that we've really watched does I feel mm-hmm. like everything is sort of just wham bam thank you ma'am mm-hmm. you know the closest thing would, would be the, the castle Maleficent's castle um in, in Sleeping Beauty, but um, this one just, I felt like, took us a, a step further in, in storytelling and, and, you know, writing. So, uh, really enjoyed that bit. Nice. Alright. Well, good deal. Um, Alright, we're going to finish up here with our, our final thoughts and our t- 1 out of 10 rating, uh, anywhere in there. 10 being a perfect, 1 being the worst thing ever. Uh, we'll start with David, then Jeff, and then I'll close this out. David, take it away. All right. Um, as I said before, there, I have a lot of uh, nostalgia for this movie, so that may be clouding my judgment of it quite a bit as, you know, comparison to other films from this era that I don't have those feelings for. Um, but I do think there's a reason that, like, I, everyone, even our age, like, enjoys a movie this old and becomes obsessed with it you know when it's this old and it still resonates that's because it's actually a good film and yeah it's not quite as good as i remembered watching it as an adult and there's there's times in my intention kind of like drifts off a little bit from time to time so i don't think it's a perfect film Uh, not all the jokes land um, but artistically what they did from a technical standpoint with the resources that they had and they took like all these handicaps of losing their budget, not being able to hand ink anymore, and the fact that they took all that and they still made a movie that is visually stunning to look at with those very well done cars, the spots, the backgrounds, and it all kind of blends together into something that does still stand visually against their more expensive work. And I, I gotta, you know, nod my hat to it. Um, from that standpoint alone and uh, yeah it's 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 still an engaging movie i still enjoy watching it um not perfect uh but i think it's a solid uh i think it's still a solid eight out of ten i'm gonna give it an eight out of ten cool um for me you know it's like i said this one was very special to me so it kind of already gets the nostalgic points but um it, it is one that has held up and you know like i there is some very minor pacing issue. I think I kind of had the same thing where it got a little slow in just a couple spots where I, <laughs> no pun intended, but um, it, you know, kind of did lose my attention just briefly. But, you know, it it holds up well. It's got really great writing, really great characters. Um, the art direction being so unique and, and new, especially for, for Disney at that time. Um it's refreshing to see, especially as an adult. Like as a kid, again, same thing. It kind of bothered me, but um, 
you know, just understanding the logistics behind it and the budgeting and all that. Um, I, I, I feel like it's a little bit better than the sum of its parts uh, for me. And, uh, you know, I always weight the technical achievement just a little bit higher when I, when I give my score. So uh, for me, it's a 9 out of 10. All right. Awesome. Well, for me, uh, I'm a huge fan of the Xerox look. I think it's really cool. Um, I think I could even make an argument that Sleeping Beauty looks a little bit too good. It's almost mm. too perfect. And so I feel like this gives it more of a, uh, a, a sketched look, a hand-drawn look. Helps you appreciate it a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I love this movie. I think it has good pacing. I think it has really strong characters all throughout. There's so many different characters, and I think all of them are super well done. Uh, the, the music in this is really good. The score is super good. It's fun. It's entertaining. Uh, I, I honestly have a hard time finding things that I don't like about it. So uh, for that reason, I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. So, Excellent. Boom. There you go. Uh, so there you have so it. That, that affi- for those keeping score, this officially makes uh, 101 Dalmatians our highest rated uh, movie so far. I believe it. Yep. Yeah. And it deserves it's the best it. one. Yeah. And I think this is probably my favorite from uh, from this era. I think this is the best that it gets, in my opinion. <laughs> but uh, but we still have what two more movies from from this era? Is that right? Uh, three. Got Sword in the Stone, Jungle Book, and Robin, or is Robin uh, Hood a little later? I, I think, think Aristocats later, but it's still usually has counted the same. as bronze. But I'm oh not yeah, sure. Aristocats. I, I can't remember if Aristocats is because it was still over in bronze era. I'll have to look into that. Okay. Yeah, actually, I've got it right here. The we're on. Yeah, there's only two left: Sword in the Stone, then Jungle okay. Book, and then Aristocats starts the Bronze Age, goes all the way through Oliver and Company. So Bronze Age is the interesting age, in my opinion. I think there's pretty good stuff in there. Robin Hood, Winnie the Pooh, Rescuers, uh, Fox and the Hound, uh, Black Cauldron, uh, Great Mouse Detective, and Oliver and Company. Okay. There's some good ones in there. I love the Great Mouse Detective. There is. Robin Hood was my favorite Disney film uh, growing up. So good. I I loved it as a kid. I destroyed that VHS. That one's going to be interesting to revisit because I watched it again not too long ago Mm -hmm. and had different feelings, but... Yeah. um, than as a kid so I'm excited to talk about that all of them really like this whole next mm-hmm. rescue oh, I watched the rescuers so much great <laughs> mouse detective I watched so much um, all right yeah well it's gonna we be are good teasing our audience yeah. yes <laughs> next next episode is gonna be sword in the stone though so uh, mm. it's gonna be great that one, I can't that wait. one was that one was one of my favorites as a kid too so again excited we'll to see how I feel yeah. as an adult so all right looking forward looking forward well guys thanks so much for uh, for listening in uh, we're just under an hour here so we did a good job David and Jeff uh, great job as always thanks for being here and, cheers uh, cheers and uh, we'll see you next time bye sounds good bye adios Foundation plantation